Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Do you remember the first time that we met, first of all? Oh, gosh. Well, it wasn't the... Did I meet you before I did that interview with you? I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. And that is Michelle Pfeiffer. That's right, the mega movie star Michelle Pfeiffer. We first met around 10 years ago. I had been working with her husband, producer David E. Kelly, because he was doing a TV adaptation of one of my books. And then one day, Michelle met David and me for lunch. That's right, and I was vegan then, and we took you to a restaurant, yeah, where they had pretend food. (laughs) <laughs> it was really good, though. I, I could tell that that was like the, the, the tofu that tastes like chicken. Everything tastes like chicken. <laughs> now, you might be wondering why Michelle is on the podcast today. Well, here's the thing. Michelle and her husband, David, were the very first people I had dinner with at a restaurant since the start of the pandemic, meaning my wife and I actually left our house and it was great. I do get a lot of street cred when I tell people that my first dinner out after 14 months was with Michelle Pfeiffer and David E. Kelly. But the thing is, it was a big moment for me and my wife because it marked a new beginning where socializing felt like it was about to become normal again, at least as normal as possible. So for today's episode, we're going to talk about re-entering society, what that means, and also what these social interactions can actually do tangibly for our physical and our mental health. And trust me, the neuroscience here is really fascinating. These connections are much more important than most people even appreciate. So it's time to finally leave our couch and to start chasing life again. For many of us, we had to be creative about how we socialized while keeping our distance. We had to figure out new ways to stay connected. Some have deepened their relationships, but most of us are excited to just get back out there and be together once again. I do think that whenever the world opens up again, I will be more present in real life in line for something at the post office, I will, like, engage in conversation there. Like, I am so hungry for the magic of meeting people in real life and the magic of a relationship. My spring semester has been remote, and so it's been really hard to keep in contact with the friends I met on campus in the fall, especially because we're kind of Zoom fatigued after spending five or six hours on Zoom learning for our classes. I don't think we really want to hop on Zoom for another couple of hours to just check in. There's certainly three or four people who I have much more contact now with than I would have. I feel like they're closer friends. I worry that our social skills have atrophied and this new reliance on sort of Zoom and digital means of communication will make it uncomfortable for us to 
return to a level of social interaction that I think is normal and was healthy for us pre-pandemic. I'm just really nervous. I'm going to talk people's ears off and just be so excited to meet new people and hear about them and their stories. And I'm just never going to stop talking. Many of us had a tough year of forced isolation and of creating new ways to keep up with our friends virtually and in person. For those of us who have been able to get vaccinated, we're now able to do those things again pretty safely. According to new CDC guidelines, we can be with our vaccinated friends and our families inside or out and without a mask. And so I finally took that leap with Michelle. We had dinner. Yes. Outside. Yes. And and it was cold, but <laughs> it was lovely. <laughs> well, I mean, th- I got to say that that was, that was the first time in over a year, Michelle, that I'd gone to a restaurant. And I... I think I told you when I sat down, it was, I don't know, like my heart was beating a little fast. I felt a little uncomfortable or awkward, maybe. I don't know what the right way to describe it. And and that's part of the reason I just wanted to talk to you. I felt, mm-hmm. I feel like that was a really significant moment for me. Yeah, I think it was the second time that we had in 14 months at, that we had actually gone to a restaurant. And the first time before that, I think, was the week before that on David's birthday. Right. After we had both hit our two-week point after our second vaccine. Michelle was in Atlanta, where I live, shooting a new television series. She's playing Betty Ford for an upcoming show about first ladies. And she's also been working throughout the pandemic on her fragrance line, Henry Rose. But she did find time in her schedule to meet up with me and my wife. I did not feel at all like we were at risk. I wasn't conscious, honestly. Did you, were you a little anxious? No, you know, I, I was more, I felt more awkward, I mean, you know, than, than anything else. And to be honest, Michelle, you're so humble, but you are obviously a very big movie star. And so there was a part of me who hoped that, you know, people wouldn't start approaching you or, or, or doing whatever, you know, and I'm sure you would be very kind and gracious, but still, I, I imagine it's gotta be challenging. So you you did have a chance to continue throughout this time period to, to work. I mean, that's part of the reason mm-hmm. you were in Atlanta, you were filming here. What was that like for you? Well, I, I have a direct-to-consumer business called Henry Rose, and we sell fine fragrances that are clean and 100% transparent with their ingredients. And we had only been launched for a year, not even a year, when we went into lockdown. At that point, people were hoarding toilet paper, and we thought, well, fragrance is not exactly an essential item, maybe, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And anyway, as it turns out, we we kind of are an essential item, and and it's because what people ended up doing throughout the pandemic was really doing whatever they could to make themselves feel better. And I have to say, it's... um... There is something about smell. It's mm. the most preserved sense, the olfaction. I, I do think it's ironic that one of the symptoms of COVID, obviously, was people would lose their sense of smell. Mm. And, and, and it reminded us of how important smell mm-hmm. is. I mean, you know this more than anyone, that the, the olfactory gland is the closest and most direct to the memory and emotion part of the brain. I think it's the limbic. Is that right? Yeah. That's Doctor, right. is that right? Yes, but you got it. <laughs> you got it. And it's why it is 
it is so emotional and it really taps into the, the scent memories are incredibly powerful. Could you see yourself going to a big, crowded event again? I mean, an indoors event or charity or dinner of some sort? Uh, boy, I avoid those like the plague. You avoided them before the pandemic. Yes, I did. <laughs> okay. um, but it's not that I haven't gone to them, but I go out of necessity. I don't usually go out of choice. Uh, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> Truth is, I hadn't interacted outside my house in over a year. And it's like I forgot how to socialize. What do I talk about? Where do I look? Where do I put my hands? Take it slow. Do not expect yourself to be the social butterfly that you were before this pandemic, or even the slightly less socially awkward person that you were before this pandemic. That's Marissa Franco. She's a psychologist and a friendship expert. She studies platonic connections and how they can make our lives better, even if they sometimes feel hard to navigate. So if you're worried about getting out there because you're like, oh, I don't even know, like social cues anymore. It's hard for me to look people in the eye. I feel like I'm rambling. Just know that everybody feels that way and they're probably thinking a lot more about their own awkwardness than you are. So take the pressure off of yourself and give yourself a ton of grace and compassion. Social interaction is one of the most complex things our brains can possibly do. And so it's actually really hard, especially if you haven't done it for a while. So let yourself take a little bit more time to get back into the swing of things. As a neuroscientist, I know it's worth it to keep socializing and to keep our connections to others alive. There's plenty of science to show that the advantages of friendships and relationships extend far beyond psychological well-being. They can also benefit our cardiovascular, our endocrine, our immune systems. And perhaps, unsurprisingly, they're good for our brains as well. In older age, having close ties to others and participating in meaningful social activities are associated with keeping the mind sharp and memory strong. But keep in mind, the reverse is also true. Loneliness can be really bad for our health. Studies have shown that people with fewer social connections don't sleep as well. They have higher rates of stress, they have altered immune systems, and even more inflammation. All of these things can raise the risk of events like heart disease and stroke. So here's the way I look at it. After a year of worrying so much about our health, it is great to know that rekindling our relationships in a way can be very protective. That being said, some people are still nervous about the virus. It's going to be a bit of an adjustment hanging out in person again, and some people might feel uncomfortable taking off their masks inside, including Michelle Pfeiffer. I've now had some family members over, and we were sitting, it was just my brother and my sister-in-law, and we were sitting at a table, so it wasn't like a crowd of people, but I found myself getting incredibly claustrophobic. And I got so uncomfortable that I had to get up and open the sliding glass door. Interesting. And I'm not yet comfortable eating inside. And I feel this, I feel timid is kind of the word that I I keep coming up with. You know in your mind, I guess, you've gotten the vaccine. You feel protected. So this Mm -hmm. is more of a social, I mean, anxiety Mm -hmm. from from emerging from the pandemic, that, that sort of thing? You know, I think it's this subconscious association because we've spent 14 months 
telling ourselves it's not safe, it's not safe. And I mean, everybody is rejoicing that we get to go out and, you know, be safer and be with each other and hug. And it's incredible, but there's this sort of underlying subtle anxiety about it all, you know? It is hard not to feel anxious about being around lots of people again. I feel that way. And I mean, experts have been telling us this for the last year, right? To avoid big crowds. Plus, there's some level of inertia, I would say. It's easy to stay home in your sweatpants, and we've gotten lazy because we've done it for a year. Athleisure has become a really big industry. But psychologist Marissa Franco says, put on something nice. Get out of the house because it's worth it. And people may have forgotten just how much fun it can really be as well. So there's a study done by Nicholas Epley, and he basically found that before people interacted with people, they were they were cynical. They were sort of like, I don't think that this is going to be fun or great or enjoyable. But after they interacted with people, they enjoyed it a lot more than they thought they would. And so we kind of have this bias to underestimate how much joy, how much energy we'll experience during a social event. Rebuilding those connections after a year of being inside is important. I really want to emphasize that. But who we choose to do it with, well, that's another question. And we got more on that after the break. We are back to chasing life. Now, sadly, the pandemic isn't over yet, so we still do need to listen to health officials and exercise appropriate caution. And likely, we're going to have some pretty difficult conversations with friends and family about how safe they are being or not and what we are and aren't comfortable with. I think that's probably going to continue to affect our interactions with people we otherwise feel very close to. Rebecca Adams is a sociology professor at UNC Greensboro. She's also an expert on friendship. Do you have a party and let everybody come, whether they wear a mask or are vaccinated? I mean, when things open up more and more, people will be re-entering normal life at different rates and in different ways. And those could become personal issues for people. This pandemic has also put us all in kind of a unique situation. We have this opportunity now to decide if we want to reform our social circles, who we want to spend time with, and who we might be okay with not seeing so much anymore. Normally, when we wanted to end a friendship, we usually didn't do it intentionally. You might stop calling the person as much, or you might stop going to the laundromat at the same time that you normally caught up with a friend or whatever. And then gradually the person just kind of goes off the radar. I guess what I'm trying to say is we're not used to having to make conscious decisions about our friendships. And that's going to be interesting because as we reenter thinking about which friends we want to see, which friends are important to us, and making decisions about how to prioritize them. I don't know exactly what my social circle will look like in the next year, but I do know this pandemic has made me realize how important friends are, how much value they add to our lives. Although our inner circle, our closest friends are so vital, 
We can't forget about those casual friends, too, that we may have lost touch with this past year. They also add a lot of value. Psychologist Marissa Franco says that casual friends let us explore different sides of ourselves and opens us up to new ideas and perspectives, which is important, perhaps now more than ever. Actually, contact with people of a different group and friendship across groups is one of the most important predictors of decreasing prejudice over time. Even when your friend becomes friends with someone from an outgroup, it affects you and your feelings about that outgroup and your feelings about policies to support that outgroup. So I think we can also look at the macro level and think about, huh, if we're all sort of shrinking our friends to people that are you know, very close to us and probably very much similar to us, then what's that going to happen for our ability to decrease prejudice over time? Studies have also shown something pretty interesting. These more casual friends can also offer a very practical benefit in our lives. According to a study out of the University of Chicago, casual friends, or what they call weak ties, are more likely than our best friends to get us a job, recommend a lawyer, a plumber, even find us a babysitter. There is no magic number on how many friends one should have. Our circles can shrink, they can get bigger as a result of this pandemic. It's up to each of us to self-reflect and then think about what we want our social lives to look like and who we want, or again, who we don't want in it. I know for me, I didn't used to place a lot of value on my social circle. I just felt like I was too busy and it felt like a real luxury. But now, I'm going to work on putting more effort into my connections, making them deeper and less surface value, including my friend Michelle Pfeiffer. I think what we all learned last year with our, our loved ones, whether it's our friendships or our family members, is how, you know, how much they mean to us and even more meaningful after this year of not being able to see each other, or touch each other, or hug each other. And I think it's really shown us where the strengths are and where the weaknesses are. And I certainly plan on putting in a lot more effort into nurturing those relationships. Somebody gave me this piece of advice, which I really took to heart, and it was a little bit counterintuitive, but it was sometimes ask for help. And and, and I'm not saying that you're like some screaming out for help, but just change the conversation a little bit by asking somebody for help or being vulnerable in some way. And so it was It was interesting the next day that after I heard this advice, Rebecca had driven home and her car had some smoke coming out of the engine. My parents are both engineers. So I called them up and it was FaceTiming and I was showing them, you know, pop the hood and I was showing them the, the hood and they were, they put on their reading glasses and they were pulling out manuals and they were reading about what it could be. And it just, added a level of profundity to our to our relationship and conversation, which was really nice. It's so interesting that you would say that because if I visualize that asking for help versus giving advice or asking a question, is asking for help is inviting someone to come forward. That's a really interesting because how how the asking for help can actually create kind of break through in a way yes. and, you know, and become more intimate with people who that's, I'm going to take that advice. Good. I'm going to hang up and I'm going to go ask for help. Go, go ask somebody for help. <laughs> Most of our social lives won't immediately go back to the way they were before. And that is okay. Remember that they don't have to. When you do start saying yes to things, remember to take it slow. 
Socializing is really important, but it can also be a lot of work. It can be exhausting. But please, do get out there. It's good for your mental health. It's good for your physical health as well. And don't fear. You'll get your groove back at parties, at events, whatever. We are social creatures. There is literally sections of our brain that are designed for socializing. It is a muscle that you just haven't worked out in a little while. So go out there. Use it. I know after my first dinner out, I felt rejuvenated. I forgot how great it was to just be out of the house and interacting with new people. And also doing it with people like Michelle Pfeiffer and David E. Kelly. Well, that was definitely memorable. Really? It was very special. I mean, we, we've had a chance to have meals together, but I will remember that one in particular because it was the first dinner. And yeah. I told Rebecca on the drive home, I said, okay, think back to 2017, 2018. Tell me about 20 memorable moments from that year, right? Nobody can do that. How do you remember 20, right. remember 10 memorable moments from that year? It's hard. When I look back on 2021 and the emergence of this pandemic, um, I will think of that dinner and I will think of you and and be very grateful, very grateful. And so will I. Yeah, it was good. And, you know, we were all a little socially awkward and that was okay. That was okay. <laughs> Thank you, Michelle and David. By the way, I'm still getting tons of great questions from listeners and I want to take time each episode to offer answers as best and as humbly as I can. Today, I want to address a really important issue that has been on the minds of many of you. Hello, Dr. Gupta. My question to you is, how will you address vaccinating children and what the vaccine will and will not do to kids? The Pfizer vaccine, which had been authorized only for people 16 and older, just last week received the green light for kids 12 to 15. I happen to have three kids in that age group, so this is a big topic of discussion in our home. I looked at all the data, personally. I talked to many of the trial investigators, personally. I've done a lot of homework. I do the homework for myself, but I also do it for you, the listeners of this podcast. What the studies have shown is that the vaccine is safe and effective. If you have any questions specifically about your own child situation, talk to their pediatrician. As always, I really want to hear from you. It's part of the reason I do this podcast. I really like the interaction back and forth with you. We have an upcoming episode, for example, about parenting, and we want to hear from all those kids and parents out there about how you've been holding it together during the pandemic and also how you're hoping to move forward together now. So record your thoughts as a voice memo and email them to asksanjay at cnn.com. We might even include them on the next podcast. We'll be back Tuesday. Thanks again for listening. Chasing Life is a production of CNN Audio. Megan Marcus is executive producer. Zoe Saunders is the senior producer. This episode was produced by Rachel Cohn, Jordan Gosperay, and Paige Sutherland. Our medical writer is Andrea Kane. Tommy Bazarian is our engineer. And a special thanks to Ben Tinker and Amanda Seely of CNN Health, as well as Ashley Lusk, Courtney Coop, and Daniel Cantor from CNN Audio.
Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.